welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. Welcome in. This is the Tuesday Not So Deep Dive episode on Chit Chat Money. We should start saying this. My name is Brett Schaefer. I'm here along with Ryan Henderson, the two hosts of the show. And today we're going to be talking Bentley Systems, continuing with our engineering software theme for the month of November. Previously, if you want to look at other engineering software companies, we covered Dassault Systems and ANSYS. And then upcoming, we're going to be covering Procore, which sort of engineering software, but more construction overlaps with some of the competition here. And then PTC and then Autodesk to finish out the month. It's going to be a great month for us. Second, uh, if you're listening to this, make sure to subscribe to our free newsletter to go along with every Not So Deep Dive episode. The link will be in the show notes. It is on Substack, our Chit Chat Money Substack. If you look it up on Google, you'll find it there with the newsletter each you'll get our show notes and the charts we make for each episode that will have some of the analysis and the financials that we talk about that are harder to hear in audio format second uh, or third excuse me the shows are also on youtube if you want to watch us for whatever reason we are here although we are just talking to each other on the microphones for the few people that do that um anything else i'm forgetting for no uh, maybe just hammer home that the newsletter is free. We really encourage everyone to sign up. It's it's a great supplement. Uh, if you don't always want to listen to these shows and you want to just read about them or you want to look at both, uh, yep. it's really good. And we also do a weekly recap to get everything we do on the episode because we know everyone doesn't listen to every show we do. Uh, if you want that recap in your inbox every Sunday, that's what you'll also get. All right. We're talking Bentley Systems, but first let's talk about our presenting sponsor through the end of 2022 and that is Seven Investing and after a recent earnings report, one of their picks uh, went up 100%, which I was uh, excited to see. It was a- uh, Up 100% since in the total, wreck. It in wasn't total, up yes. after the earnings. But so yes. they do a fun thing uh, over at 7 Investing where the founder, Simon, will buy a six-pack for any advisor whose stock increases by 100% over any time period since the recommendation. And Dana Abramovitz, their healthcare expert, uh, their August, her August 2022 recommendation is now officially a multi-bagger up 100%. Don't want to spoil the pick, obviously, but it's a software company in the healthcare space and it's put up phenomenal results. Definitely recommend checking out her research report. And if you want to do that, use our code MONEY to get $100 off your annual subscription for life. That is $100 off every year for the life of your subscription. And to pat myself on the back, this was one company that I was super excited about and I have tracked as well. It is still... I will say it, uh, bold take here, still uh, a potentially compelling investment here. All right. Well, Ryan and Dana both like the company. Uh, again, no spoilers. We don't want to spoil the recommendations, but check that out. Code money, $100, $100 off your annual subscription. And even if you don't know, even if you know that you're not going to sign up today, we'd recommend checking out the site and just perusing. They got a lot of free stuff that people can check out. All right. Let's talk Bentley Systems. Uh, that's the theme of this week's episode or the stock for this week's episode. And it is infrastructure software. So Ryan, why don't you kick it off? Another complicated and uh, 
they got a lot of products. Let's just say that. Yeah, you're right. They do have a lot of products, but to kind of consolidate it into a statement, they are a leading global provider of infrastructure software. So, and I know that probably sounds, if you've listened to the past two episodes, that probably sounds quite similar to the other businesses, but this is more, so Ansys was really simulation. You're trying to um, see how a product would interact in the real world. Um, Autodesk, or not Autodesk, sorry, uh, Dassault was really product modeling. Um, and Yeah, computer-aided design, which uh, Bentley does, but Dassault is more for manufacturers. So I think aerospace and automotive as two basic examples. And Bentley is more infrastructure, which will be civil engineers think. Things that uh, transportation, move. yeah, transportation bridges, structures. Yeah. And the way even the CTO described it in his interview, it's stationary objects. Uh things well, it's off, often really large uh infrastructure projects, but they're stationary. The, occasionally they'll have something like a big shipbuilder or something that will move, but most of them are these infrastructure projects. And so uh, the service they service fields like civil and structural engineers, geoprofessionals, plant engineering practitioners. There's a couple of uh there's a couple of occupations I didn't know exist that they service. Um, and then even the owners of the inf- actual infrastructure assets. So you, there, it goes beyond just the modeling of a lot of these projects and actually, in some cases, monitoring or uh, examining the production of those assets as well. So, um, and the products spend, as I mentioned, the life cycle from design to construction, even the asset management side. And they, they group these into, I guess, three markets or three categories and they're three categories based on their end market. So the first one is public works slash utilities. So on the public works side, Bentley solutions target end markets, such as roads, railways, airports, wastewater networks. And on the utilities, you, you can probably guess they cover electric, gas, water, and even communications. So like cell towers and stuff like that. Um, and then the second category that's industrial slash resources. So this includes like power generation, water treatment plants, um, oil and gas, mining facilities, offshore projects. I- I'm going to use the offshore one as an example. Let's think if you're modeling an offshore wind farm, we recently had an interview um, with Bob Robotti where he talked about sub C7, which is uh, basically an offshore energy company that has wind farms. They probably use one of... Uh, uh, one of Bentley's different products. And so if you're, if you're modeling that offshore wind farm, you're going to need to analyze and simulate the structural performance of that project. And that includes things like the subsurface conditions, simulating water pressure, and eventually like monitoring the energy production from that site. All those processes are, are doable within one of Bentley's offerings. Now, there are a lot of unique offerings. So you can bundle or you can get discounted bundle when you already have one product, but you you typically subscribe to an individual product and then maybe they're able to cross sell. Last segment is just commercial slash facilities. These are pretty basic. It's a commercial building. So office buildings, hospitals, school campuses, stuff like that. Um, and they sell all the products in, in a couple of different ways. So they have term licenses. So think if you're tasked with building a certain project, you might only need access to the software for a certain amount of time. So it's a duration-based project. You you might subscribe to the term license. Um, if you're, then there's also perpetual licenses for companies who, who use these products day in and day out. And then they have what they call E365. I thought this was pretty interesting. With E365, subscribers get unrestricted access to all of Bentley's software portfolio, but they're charged based on daily usage. So it's a usage-based model 
anyone in the co- unlimited user access. And then um, they audit usage, I think, on a quarterly or annual basis to kind of make sure everything is in line with spending. Yeah, and there's there's usage floors, so like they they have to pay a certain amount out, but um, it's it's kind of just a nicer way uh, to really pay for what you're actually using, especially for a large enterprise. Yeah, and then as far as history goes, there really wasn't a whole lot. This it's been privately held for a long time, so not a whole lot of public information. The Bentley brothers are the founders. There's five of them. Um, they, they founded the company in 1984. One brother ended up coming on later. Um, and he's actually the CEO. So I'll talk about him later. Yeah. And they, they all had skills that I thought really complemented each other. Um, there was a mechanical, a chemical and electrical engineer. Uh, those were three of the brothers. And some of them could also uh, they had the software development skills to kind of build the product initially. Um, and at the start, it was basically just simple CAD software. Um, and it was marketed through the name Intergraph Corp. Apparently, they had some partnership with this Intergraph company. Eventually, they ended up coming out of it and being there, being able to market it as their own product. And I'm, I recommend trying to read stories on them. I was digging through a bunch of Philadelphia small business journals um, from like 10 years ago trying to get stories on these guys, but a lot of them differed. So um, really, it looks like they just steadily compounded throughout the 90s and the 2000s and kind of grew at a healthy rate, but it was never like ridiculous growth. Um, And it wasn't until 2020 that they actually came public. So literally two years ago now. um, And we'll talk a little bit about the IPO and some of the transactions because uh, I found something interesting in there. But uh, really... It's t- today. It's a billion dollar, roughly, annual revenue business. Um, pretty f- fairly high margin. Lots of employees. Uh, in 2016, Siemens, which is actually a competitor in some ways, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, they're uh, they're another. They're crazy. They're not a crazy conglomerate, but they're a conglomerate. So they got their. They got a ton of different products. Yeah. They they acquired or invested into uh, Bentley Systems, and they still hold that stake today, which Brett will probably talk about. And they actually thought about acquiring them at one point. There were rumors that Siemens was going to acquire them, um, but that still hasn't happened. The stock is still up since IPO. Uh, I think a lot of the 2020 IPOs cannot say the same. So good for uh, good for Bentley Systems. Um, that's uh, I hope hopefully that covers enough of the business and the history. Yep, all hit industry competition. Um, these ones will all be similar for the engineering software month because a lot of the time we're looking at the competitors here, but they focus on infrastructure. So civil engineering plus some of those other ones that Ryan mentioned is the main thing. So uh, Bentley is say, just to make it simpler, say civil engineering. And then if you're looking at Dassault or ANSYS, that would be more mechanical and electrical engineers. However, the two will overlap. Um, and then there's also products for digital twins and then basic construction, which will all overlap into general engineering and construction software. Again, they all mix together. It's kind of hard to understand. Uh, so I guess just inverting it, I think it was interesting to maybe ask the question for Bentley is which do they, which parts of the engineering market do they not have much exposure to? And I think if we look back at the previous companies we looked at, the two places they don't have that much exposure are simulation and manufacturing. Those are dominated by Dassault and Ansys and a little bit of Autodesk. But, and of course, Bentley has some products for those areas, but they're, they have way less market share than their core infrastructure products. Now, when we're looking at their Bentley's uh, areas, infrastructure, construction, 
and some of those other smaller ones. It was really hard to find a total addressable market, but the global engineering software market is expected to grow by around 10% a year for the foreseeable future. And I think digital twins are expected to grow by 40% a year. That is four zero, 40% a year. Again, always safe to do kind of a you know common sense analysis here of those estimates because those projections are really hard to make. And a lot of the times they can be wrong. But I think in this case, it makes sense. And if you look at uh, Bentley's historical growth rate, they, I believe, talked about in the, in the annual report how they've grown by 8% a year since something like 2001. So uh, that's on a revenue perspective. So I think that makes sense. And then if we're looking at the digital twins, which we'll talk about in the future growth opportunities, hopefully that can keep, uh, you know, maybe possibly accelerate the revenue growth in the future. Now, lastly, if we look at competitors, the biggest one would be Autodesk. They overlap in civil engineering and construction management. Uh, there's also Hexagon, Trimble, uh, Dassault with a little bit of their products. Even Oracle was mentioned. These are all companies specifically mentioned in their annual report. If you really want to dive deep on there, they do list out explicitly the company's names. You can look at all the different products, but uh, it's quite confusing because all of these companies have dozens of products. So mixing and matching can take a few hours. Um, oh, I, in at least from looking at their report, they have they have a good report on their IR website that basically says like, "What are we?" kind of thing, and yep. they say. For the majority of their end markets, they are the the leader in terms of market share. However, well, there are a yeah. couple that, uh, and it wouldn't be this big of a business if it weren't, but there are a couple where Autodesk or some niche players are the leaders. Yeah, and that's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy because they're going to focus on the ones they are the leaders in. Um, yeah. And of one in. Uh, and yeah, so Bentley has a ton of different products. Again, the main competitor is going to be Autodesk. We'll probably look at them when we cover Autodesk in a little bit of the light of comparing them to Bentley and who maybe has a better competitive uh, positioning within the infrastructure market. Uh, but yeah, Bentley doesn't, you know, they're the leader in the space, number one in infrastructure, similar to how Ansys was number one in simulation. Let's move to management and ownership. Bentley Systems was founded by the Bentley Brothers, like Ryan mentioned, and they're still family run and controlled today. So they have a dual class share structure. Uh, they have full control of the business. In the newsletter, you'll be able to look at the ownership table that we have out here. If we look at the, say, this kind of encapsulate, pretty much encapsulates the family ownership. All executive officers and directors of the board have 57.5% voting power as of uh, the proxy statement. So full control by the insiders here. Now, the CEO is Greg Bentley. Um, he's one of the brothers. He actually wasn't the founder, but he joined them in 1991. He's also the chairperson of the board. The CTO uh, that Ryan mentioned is Keith Bentley. He is one of the founders and the principal arch architect for the company software. He is running the technology strategy for this business. We'll link this in the newsletter. Uh, there is a good podcast interview where he goes over what he does as the CTO of Bentley, pretty down to earth really focuses on the technology. Uh, no, not really anything with financials and stuff like that. It's just pure uh, tech side of things, tech side, software, all that good stuff. Uh, if we're moving to the board of directors, they have four of the seven board members that are Bentley family members, and they're allowed to do this because they are a family controlled business. So under the US regulations, you're supposed to have a, a more independent board members, but they don't have to have that. So this makes this even a more controlled family business than other dual class companies like, say, Meta Platforms with Zuckerberg having that controlling stake with the dual class structure. Even here, the board wouldn't be able to vote them out because they have the four members. Um, and I think that's important to note. Now, well, 
the uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's, it's it's the brothers could vote each other out if they well, they could block, have but. they could have some infighting. I guess that is true. Um, they haven't had that for forty years, but I guess that is right. It is not impossible for that to happen. Uh, moving to compensation, executive comp executive comp in twenty twenty one was thirty seven point nine million dollars, or five percent of gross profit. That is kind of on the high end of what we would call the reasonable range uh, when looking at a business. So. I mean, you know, it's not high for executive team in America, but I think it's important to watch for this company because once you get that 5% of gross profit, that can eat into your margins quite a bit if it goes up even further. It's also a 5% of gross profit is, I would definitely consider that on the higher end of the oh, reasonable yeah. range is given how much they already own at the business. Uh, I am going to talk about that. Yes. So if we look at say the CEO and CTO, they both own, and this isn't voting power, this is ownership. So kind of their economic interest. Uh, CEO Greg Bentley was 3.1% and the CTO Keith Bentley owns 6.5%. And we look at the size of this business, those are really big chunks. Um, yeah. And look at the board compensation, less than $1 million, so not uh, consequential. Now, the most important thing, and I think we're going to spend a lot of time on the proxy today just because it was probably the biggest low light or the biggest concern when looking at the stock. There were a few yellow flags I saw when looking at reading their 2021 proxy statement. First, they have a complicated uh, what they call bonus pool compensation scheme where executives can get paid up to 20% of adjusted operating income each year. I'll repeat that up to 20% of adjusted operating income. This is especially concerning considering they already own a huge chunk of Bentley stock. So why do they need the salary at all? If the business does well, the stock will go up and they're, you know, they will do well. It just feels a bit uh, greedy to me. Second, the other executives who are not part of this bonus pool can get performance stock units based on adjusted EBITDA targets. The use of adjusted EBITDA is a concern here because the performance stock units are then adjusted out of the earnings and you kind of have this self-fulfilling cycle where you can be profitable and just give people a lot of stock. Third, and this is a small one, but I think it, it reads a bit into a culture concern. Executives get reimbursed $12,500 a year for fitness memberships and $25,000 a year for family members to accompany them on business trips. This is not going to impact their bottom line, but I think it's self-explanatory how you might be a bit peeved reading that. And you say, oh, you question as an outside shareholder, the ethics of this executive team. I mean, what gym are they going to? Oh yeah. 12,500 a year. They're all at the Equinox. All these software engineers are going to the Equinox. Um, uh, fourth, um, there are, and this isn't, terrible. I know companies like maybe Liberty or other complicated entities do things like this, but there are almost 10 million uh, what they call phantom shares of stock that are held by executives that can be converted to, quote, real shares under their deferred compensation structure. I think they did this for tax reasons, but I find it unnecessarily complicated and it can be used to mislead shareholders if they really wanted to. I don't think they are doing with that because I give out some great explanations on how this works. But again, Make sure to look at that. Uh, don't look at the wrong share count when looking at this company. Uh, and then I said I had the Siemens part. Um, so we don't need to look at that. All right. Earnings, Ryan, less complicated. <laughs> Let's go through that. Yeah, fairly straightforward. I'll go through 2021 first. So that was their last full year. Uh, $965 million in revenue. So almost a billion dollar revenue business. That was growing 20% from the year prior, 78% gross margins, sort of typical of your engineering software companies to have 
such high margins. And then only $93 million in earnings before taxes um, or about a 10% EBT margin, but they had a $95 million one time. And I say one time because sometimes we just talked about this. uh, Sometimes it'll help them. Sometimes it'll hurt them. Um, And they had a $95 million one-time deferred compensation expense. I believe part of that was connected to the IPO because that was way larger than they typically had uh, in their previous financial statements. So um, yeah, we'll hope that's not as big of a deal in the coming years. Yeah. For all the other numbers are around 20% earnings before taxes margin. So in 2020, they had about, it was 21% earnings before taxes margin. So typically more in the high teens to 20% range, as opposed to the 10% they saw in 2021. Uh, as for operating cash flow, almost $300 million. So you're looking at potentially 30% operating cash flow margins. And then uh, they, they do have some stock-based compensation expense. And that's probably the leading uh, difference there between uh, cash flow and your gap earnings uh, and figures. Don't forget, yeah. And don't forget to track deferred revenue with the STEM business as well. Right. And then I, I most recently, just focus on ARR is probably the best way to go. Um, and explain for any, what that is. That is annual recurring revenue. So they're just taking their recurring revenue figure from the current quarter and extrapolating it out for the next nine months, right? So it'll be the or current annual, quarter annual, 12 annualized. Months. So 12, 12 months, not nine. Yeah, but it, oh. it includes the existing quarter. Oh, sure. So okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You're annualizing right, right. the the recurring revenue from the existing okay. quarter, yeah, and so yeah. in the most recent quarter, they're looking at about 984 million dollars in annual recurring revenue. Now, keep in mind that might seem like limited growth, but there's a part of the top line that comes from professional services, so like helping their customers implement the software and stuff like that. So that doesn't get really lumped in to the recurring revenue, at least not all of it. I don't believe so. That is really just their recurring revenue figure. Um, their ARR was growing at about 14% in constant currency. They did have some big foreign exchange headwinds this quarter. Um, but all in all, it seems like they continue to grow at about a mid-teens percentage growth rate. And they're accelerating, yeah, from the last decade. Yeah. Now, some of that may be inorganic because they recently had some big acquisitions, but 99% account retention rate. So very little logo churn here. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, and then forty-seven million in EBT this quarter, so eighteen percent EBT margin. That's uh, just that earnings before taxes that I mentioned. Keep in mind, I do include interest there, so I'm not I'm not using EBIT in this on this occasion because they have a lot of interest expense, and that moves kind of right into the balance sheet. On the liability side, this is a business that use uses a ton of debt to finance growth, uh, primarily their their acquisitions. So, one point eight billion dollars in long term debt. And basically 1.7 billion in net debt. So really almost no cash. Um, and here's how it kind of shakes out. So 540 million of that 1.8 is in a bank credit facility. This is ultimate, it's comprised of two things. There's a term loan and then there's like this revolving facility, but it's variable rate debt. And the weighted average rate was around 3% between the both the term loan and the, the revolving facility. And then there's two other tranches of senior notes. So, um, or two different sets of senior notes, I should say. $700 million worth of 2026 convertible notes. That's a 0.125% rate and a price, a conversion price of $64 a share, which is uh, 63% higher than today's price. So um, if they get 
to that price by 2026, it's convertible into stock as opposed to paying that down debt. Um, they also have a 2027 convertible senior note. That price is $83.23 a share. That's double today's price, but it's a slightly higher rate at 3.75%. Um, basically, all this is to say they are certainly a heavily indebted company and they've used these for their big acquisitions because only $73 million in cash. However, yeah. it's 360 roughly million in adjusted EBITDA. They're getting probably close to $400 million in adjusted EBITDA. Um, and their credit agreement states that they can't exceed a net leverage ratio of three and a half to one. And net leverage is just their net debt divided by that adjusted EBITDA figure. Um, I I think there must have been an amendment because right now they've got a 1.7 billion in net debt, 362 million in last 12 month adjusted EBITDA. So their net leverage ratio is 4.7 times as opposed to the yeah cap. maybe maybe they don't count convertibles. There could be something in there. Yeah, I guess just the way I the main takeaway here is that they like to push the limits on on how much debt they can use. Yeah. I like the convertibles um, though. Pretty smart. Yeah, good good convertibles and they seem like they're good conversion prices as well, not too much of meatballs for the uh Yeah, and it's a good uh, it seems like a good target where like that can, you know, it's achievable. Yeah, where you know it's in, it aligns with shareholders. All right, I'll hit valuation, keep it quick here. Let's get the sheet up. Um because we're tracking in real time. All right, market cap is about 12 billion dollars. Add back the debt, we're about an enterprise value of 13.6 billion dollars and the stock is quite expensive. I think this is going to be the most expensive stock we look at here from a trailing multiple basis. Um EV to sales 14, EV to gross profit 16 and EV to operating cash flow of 43 and those are all trailing 12 month from Q3. Again, uh Sales ratio 14, operating cash flow ratio 43. That's pretty expensive, especially in today's market. We're looking at probably a double of what Autodesk is going to be at. We're probably looking at, I mean, Ansys even was at 30 and they have traded at a premium multiple for a while. Um, so and yeah, all people, these growth people, rates are not that different. No, that, that is the thing. All, all these companies are growing at very similar growth rates. Now, you could argue, and we'll talk about this in the future growth opportunities, that Bentley Systems has a really Fan, uh, just a fantastic industry tailwind that's going to be coming this decade, but um, just the starting multiples are high here. Okay. Anecdotal evidence, Ryan, this has been a tough month for anecdotal evidence, but what do you think? Well, just kind of looking at management and and maybe the way they communicate with investors, how long they stayed private and, and reading about um, the founder letter. Yeah. Reading the founder letter and reading stories of, the written about the family. It feels like this is a business that's very much focused on engineers and employees first. There was an interview talking about their IPO with Greg Bentley. And he said that we like, he was talking about how, how much we care about our employees. And he said, we made an extraordinary stock grant to our employees right before they went right before it went public. So that they owned a third of the company when it did. Hey, that's good. Then maybe SPC can be lower now. I think they actually said, they said that on a conference call. So that could be, that could be a positive. But yeah, it's definitely a sign that they're not afraid to focus on employees first. Yeah, which is good. It's not that's not bad, but again, you know, it's something to factor in and whether they're going to care about margins too much and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think the founder who is the CTO, uh, he has that uh, interview on that podcast that again, we'll link 
in the newsletter. Make sure to check that out. Uh, he seems very dedicated to Bentley's mission. He's been there, uh, just as a reminder, since 1984. Um, and he gives a great pitch for the long-term growth of digital twins, which that leads into the future growth opportunities. Um, that's going to be mine. But Ryan, why don't you start with yours? Yeah, he seems pretty fixated on that one. Uh, so that, that kind of seems like the big one. At but... least he's not the CEO where it's like, Again, we talked about Zuckerberg already, so it's on my mind with the dual class share structure. At least he's not the CEO and they didn't change their name to I, I Digital Twins or whatever. Yeah. And the CEO is focused on that. I'm glad it's the guy in charge of their products. Yeah. So growth opportunities for me, I'm going to go with some of the recent acquisitions that they've made. And it's worth noting that this is very much an acquisitive business. They explicitly state that they want this to be a part of their strategy. There's uh, even a quote here from the 10K. They say, since our founding, we have purposefully pursued a strategy of regularly acquiring and integrating specialized infrastructure, engineering, software businesses. So much so, in fact, that they bought 33 companies in the last five years and two really big ones. So Sequent was a billion dollar acquisition that was in 2021. I believe it was 2021. And then Powerline Systems was recently that was, that was this year, more recent, seven hundred million. So pretty much all of their net debt um, worth of these two acquisitions, and they bought them. Also, here's the part that uh, I'll, I'll I'll maybe save that for my lowlights, but it's a potential concern who who they're kind of buying them from and and stating that as your strategy. It makes me worry that maybe you're not getting the best prices. But let's let's look at. Sequent, which is the global leader in 3D modeling software for geosciences. Apparently, a lot of people use this. Um, it's one of the leader in uh, one of the leaders in subsurface oil modeling. boom. Yeah, oil boom back uh, with the oil boom back. Excuse me, I can't talk. You know, could have been good timing here. Yeah, and this apparently added 10% to Bentley's ARR. Uh, so it, basically, it looks like they paid 10 times sales for the business. Hard to know what the margins will be, but. Uh, it's, yeah, it's okay. That's okay. It's not terrible. If they, especially if they can, yeah. if they can bundle it, that's the key. Is if right. they can accelerate the growth. All right. What about you? Um, yeah, and just I'll mention Powerline Systems. Just look them up. And this is going to be big for the uh, when we talk about later, kind of the infrastructure bill. So Powerline Systems develops, sells, and supports software for the design of overhead electric power transmission, distribution, and communication lines and their structures. So. Again, classic infrastructure company, but mine is going to be infrastructure digital twins. Keith Bentley, like I mentioned before, thinks that digital twins are the next big revolution that Bentley Systems is working on since the original computer-aided design boom in the 1980s. So that's a big, I mean, the computer-aided design boom in the 1980s is was huge. You had Autodesk, you had uh, Josh Ansys, Bentley, and a few others really take hold in the 1980s and become the giant businesses in the engineering software industry. So when he says digital twins, uh, he is being is saying that it's the same as CAD. He, he's being really optimistic about this and he thinks it's a multi-decade tailwind for them. So just to, some people may know what a digital twin is, but it is a digital representation of a real physical asset, which can be analyzed and managed in real time through the connection of internet of things, sensors and computer chips. So just say you got a bridge, you have some maybe sensors on it, you have uh, that are connected to your, say, CAD file, and it updates continuously with, say, stress loads, stuff like that. It can help an engineer or whoever manages the bridge, you know, make it more efficient, uh, safer for the people that are driving on it. And just apply that to any other infrastructure asset out there. Um, 
Yeah. So Bentley Systems is investing heavily in this industry. They have its iTwin platform, which they want to lay on top of its existing design and management software. So again, how that would potentially work, and again, it's, it's early stages, so they're really trying to build this out, is you have, say, the software design thing for trains. Let's say it's trains. And you can layer on railroads. the iTwin, what? Railroads? Well, so. trains is moving. Oh, oh, sure, sure. Yeah, the rail, excuse me. Yeah, the rail, okay. and making the bridges across all that. When you have the digital twin capabilities, you can layer that on the uh, the software. And instead of just the design phase, it's also in the management phase. And I, hopefully, that I think I, I said that uh, well enough, but they're, they're really optimistic about this. They're investing heavily. Um, Keith said that he is spending almost all of his time on this. So I think that was really important. That was probably my biggest takeaway from the interview is that he's spending all his time on this. So if you're going to invest in Bentley, it's important to look at digital twins. Lastly, uh, oh, I should have linked to Bentley's website. I will. Okay, so that's in the newsletter. Uh, they have a $100 million venture fund specifically earmarked to invest in digital twins. So again, they're, they're investing heavily into this. All right, let's move into highlights and lowlights. Ryan, what'd you like and dislike about Bentley Systems? Uh, likes, I think they're, well, first of all, they're the leading software provider in a lot of their end markets. So it's not like they're fighting some uphill battle. Um, and they serve a really critical function for a lot of their customers, which I think generally leads to pricing power. Um, and I, you can probably see that in the dollar based net revenue retention figure that they reported last quarter, 110%, pretty solid. That's pretty much in line with Autodesk of the world. Um, also they having the bundling potential between your products i think that makes you harder dis, to harder to disrupt one competitor comes along you're not probably going to lose as many customers to something like that when they're relying on more than one of your products um and then the last one and this is really probably the largest one by a mile in commodity inflation is really good for this business when if the whole thesis plays out the high prices are the cure for high prices and people are going to invest in a bunch of assets to mine whatever the goods are infrastructure-based assets for oil infrastructure-based assets for um i don't know coal they they talk about mining plants that the as one of their end markets lithium for renewables all yeah all these i mean all the end markets uh if there's going to be more investment there because the prices are higher and your theoretical return, if you invest, if you work to uh, produce them is uh, if your theoretical return is higher, then you're going to spend more money on things like Bentley systems. So all that is to say, I think there's going to be more spending on infrastructure-based assets this software probably and next five years and Bentley's a critical part of that. Yeah. And more of the spending will probably be going to software. And just as another example for that, just uh, the renewable benefits of the infrastructure bill in the United States are well known, uh, whatever, you know, it's not political on this at all, but it's, it's there and it's approved as of today. There is going to be a huge influx of capital that are tax-free. We don't need to go through the details for a lot of these companies, whether it's nuclear solar, wind, uh, geothermal, other research technologies, they're going to be using Bentley type systems and to transmit on the power lines to build these smart grids. They're also going to be using the management software like power line systems and stuff like that. So again, the infrastructure bills, um, the infrastructure spending is just going to be very, very beneficial along with the renewable uh, 
transition that uh, a lot of the Western world or the whole world is trying to make. Um, low lights, Ryan, for you. They, they, they do have a lot of debt. Um, a big chunk of it is also variable rate debt. So rising rates potentially uh, yeah. diff, diff, more money is going to go towards their debt holders. Um, and then I generally don't like it when companies have acquisitions as a part of their stated growth strategy, because it means you're probably getting worse deals when everyone knows that you're trying to meet a certain amount of acquisitions. They're yeah. buying these a lot of the time from private equity businesses who aren't going to just relinquish their stake on some scummy deal. Yeah. They're trying to, you know, probably sell it for a premium. So I worry about what they're paying on a lot of these acquisitions. And then the last one for me is it throughout a lot of their annual report and um, their financial statements, it looks like they're paying a ton of money to investment banks. They've amended their credit agreement like three times in the last three years. Um with a whole bunch of fees going to the investment banks. Uh, they're paying investment banks for consulting on acquisitions and when they raise convertibles as well. I think the raising convertibles is the right thing to do, but I just worry how much money they continue to shell yeah. out to investment banks. I mean, yeah, just compared to another software acquisition company's Constellation Software, have any of those, you know, culture or spending low lights? No, not, none of those. So the, uh, yeah, I think that's a valid concern. And then on the acquisition front, they did explicitly mention that they're looking first for technology and talent in an acquisition. So yeah, that's that I think your concern could be valid. Um, all right. My highlights, uh, I think the durability and focus of the family led business for multiple decades is highly impressive. Um, from what I can read into, they are mostly non-frivolous. Uh, and what you, since we can't read into them, then, you know, I think that it helps confirm that where they're not on CNBC all the time or going to the, you know, constantly going to getting in front of the TV screen. Um, and really, they just want to build the best software they can for their infrastructure customers. Uh, second, digital twins for a few reasons. First, these new products give them new revenue opportunities, plain and simple. Second, it widens the moat by increasing the switching cost of leaving Bethlehem systems. If you're just, if you're not only doing the design, but also the management and the tracking of all your assets through Bentley, that the switching costs, I think, are self-explanatory there. Third, it allows them to ride a new technical, uh, the technological innovations of other companies and other industries that make digital twins more viable. And these can include, say, cloud computing, mobile devices, uh, semiconductor advances with Internet of Things. Um, as those get better and better and other companies are investing in that, that makes it much easier to manage something through a digital twin. Uh, third, the government infrastructure bills. Ryan talked about that one, so we don't need to hit it again. Low lights for me, uh, we talked about not having a great ROIC framework and acquisitions. Um, other low light, we already talked about it though, is the greedy compensation plans. It just doesn't make me feel good, especially when you combine that with bonuses being based on adjusted metrics. Because when they're based on adjusted metrics and you have an acquisition strategy, that's it's just a tough combo because there's always going to be the adjustments in that. And I worry about true free cash flow generation. Uh, third one, we haven't mentioned this yet, but exposure to China. Uh, China uh, is a huge infrastructure spender. It has been the last two decades. And they explicitly mentioned in the last conference call, um, and not even just the last conference call, that China is a big negative as of late. 19% of the revenue is from APAC, which is uh, Asia Pacific. And then China is likely the largest piece of that. Um, however, on the last conference call, they did mention they're getting a big pickup from India, which is balancing that out. 
But the China part does make me nervous. Decent exposure there. And we know the issues that they've had recently with tightening up uh, foreign investment and all that stuff that makes outside investors and outside companies concerned. All right. Bull case. These have been bull case and bear case have been fairly simple for these software businesses. But Ryan, um, what do you think? Because valuation is a bit, bit uh, expensive here. Yeah, I think I, I feel like I'm kind of repeating myself. But in this case, the valuation, when I look at it, it's honestly a little wild of a premium. Um, you're looking at potentially 40 times adjusted EBITDA, which is really not the true free cash flow of the business. What do you th- is it? What, 50 times free cash flow trailing? Oh, I don't know about it. I did operating, but 43 times operating, I'm sure. Well, it's an acquisition strategy, so you're probably going to want to include the acquisitions on that. So I'm sure, yeah, 50 sounds reasonable. It, I mean, to get to 10% returns from here, I think a lot needs to go right. You're probably going to be fighting multiple compression along the way. So I'd argue you need at least a teens percentage annual growth rate on the top line and then some margin expansion as well over the next five years. The, uh, Maybe they, maybe the infrastructure spending is so strong, the growth in infrastructure spending across not only the US, but just internationally over the next five years, that it just doesn't matter. And they get 20% top line growth for the next three. If that happens, yeah, you're probably going to have good returns, but it feels like there's, there's some risk in that. Yeah. And remember, historically, they've grown at 8% a year with a heavy acquisition strategy. Again, my bull case, when looking at this, you have a premium valuation and it should be handicapped even further because it's an acquisition heavy strategy. Um, so I think you need to expect durable 10% growth for the next decade. It's not going to be hyper growth because you it's infrastructure and moves slow. Government you know, is in there a lot of the time. So it's not going to be uh, one year we we get this software program for whatever, and, and it's not like they're s- sending this to VC backed startups that are moving rapidly and stuff like that. So it's not going to be one year. Oh, they're growing forty percent like crazy. It's going to be durable growth, which is fine. It's actually better, but I think we you need to expect ten percent growth for probably a decade. Um, you think of it and well it, for a decade, yeah. But like, you think if they let's put 8% revenue growth on it for the next 10 years. Do you think you get good returns from here? Oh, that depends what margins look like. I think right where they are now, 20%. Oh, uh, probably not. Probably not. But I think this still deserves a premium valuation given how low the churn is on all their, with their customers. It it deserves a slight premium valuation, but again, we're at a really, really premium multiple here. Um, But I kind of think they have a chance of doing this of hitting 10% plus growth because you have the combination of the government infrastructure plans. And uh, I guess this is a little bit, the second part's a little bit more speculative, the commercialization of digital twins, which are projected to grow at 40% a year. Bentley is one of the leaders here. And I think that can help them out a ton. Now let's move to the bear case. And they just want to be simple for both of us. And that's multiple compression. Yeah, I have a couple, multiple compressions, one that could lead to underwhelming performance. Overpaying for acquisitions is another. And then increasing debt payments. They have a lot of net debt right now. Um, right, and, low, low cash position, well, less than 100 million, right? Yeah, I think there's maybe a good chance that they'll have to roll that debt at, if, if rates rise, they're gonna have to roll that debt at higher rates. Um, that's just a recipe for higher interest expense, which, kind of difficult um 
I think the business is really, really sound. I think this software is going to be just as relevant in 10 years, maybe probably more relevant, but I don't necessarily know if shareholders are going to make out that well over the next five, 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, my bear case has got to be the same. It's pretty simple. Uh, You start with a high earnings multiple and you kind of have an ownership and management structure. I'll reiterate this family controlled. They've been there forever and they have full control of the board. And they, they talk about a lot how they focus on technology. Uh, there's no talk about free cash flow per share. There's no talk about all that good stuff. So it seems like the ownership and management structure is worried about business durability uh, over generating cash for shareholders, which is they can do that. But you, I think, have to handicap that as a potential investor here. Um, and that could be a bear case just because they might not care about optimizing cash flow. I, I swear and I say not even in the short run. I'm not talking about juicing cash flow in three year time. I'm talking about long term focusing on cash flow generation versus durability like versus the just the durability of their position in the industry, whether it takes a lot of acquisitions through stock, a lot of acquisitions, acquisitions through debt, whatever. Yeah, that's the it feels like in listening to the I know it was the CTO, but it feels like they go, wow, that that tech looks cool. It's better than ours. Let's, let's go out. Can we buy it? And then they say, what price do you guys want? All right, we'll try to see if we can get the debt to finance it. That's not a great acquisition strategy in terms of generating returns. Yeah. But, and you said it, they, they care most about tech and talent, not ROI. Yeah. And that's fine when they're small acquisitions, uh, which I think is, can be great if it's kind of acquiring some really smart people for $10 million, but hundred million to, uh, $500 million. No. All right. More or less interested, Ryan. I am more interested just because I think there's that big tailwind. I'd let's like to see the them be public for a little bit longer. Mm, yeah, I think. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, and let's get the stock cut in half. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the valuation's just definitely not at this price. Uh, it really is a sound business. I feel like we're saying that with all these engineering software companies, but these are businesses that have been around for a long time, have gotten bigger over time, gotten better over time. Yeah. Well, if we look, if we're going to rank durability, Bentley is probably number one here, just because the industry is so much more stable than say Ansys. Yeah. They have so much potential, but a lot of the stuff is, is, you know, industries that could lose R and D budgets. Yeah, I think. Yeah, this has more customer applications. Yeah, and just you know that there's going to be spending year and year out more government focus. Um, yeah, I, I'm more interested. Uh, you know, I'm not going to buy something like a slow grower at 40 times cash flow. It's just not going to happen. And I think you, I said earlier that a business like this deserves a premium, but I think you might have to balance that back back because of the management and proxy statement concerns. And maybe uh, I would just be waiting for a multiple that is below the market average. Uh, and that might never come for Bentley Systems, but uh, I guess that's the price you have to pay to be patient. All right, stock for next week is going to be Procore. Not exactly engineering software, but if I'm looking at Coif in here, uh, I guess they're growing quicker. So maybe we can kind of look and maybe balance someone who's growing uh, at more than 20% a year. But it's another one trading at more than 10 times sales. So uh, that's what it's going to be for these software companies. Um, all right. Anything else, Ryan? No, we're good. I guess for the Procore, if you want a little bit of a precursor, we've right. interviewed yeah. the CEO twice now. That is true. Very, um, very interesting man. Uh, yeah. Built this business from scratch. Yeah. 
Uh, very cool. He is CEO and founder. We'll so. try to give our, his, his is, uh, I mean, he obviously has a better understanding of the business than we do, but we're going to try to give our sort of candid uh, thoughts on the stock today and obviously talk about the business as well. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll sure. see if we'll see if they're in uh, how, how it relates to our interviews with them. Yep. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. Remember, uh, check out seven investing code money, get a hundred dollars off your annual subscription for life. Sign up for the newsletter, get the show notes and charts. We are not financial advisors. Anything we say on the show is not formal advice or recommendation. We are general partners at Arch Capital and clients may hold securities discussed in this podcast. Thank you all for listening. We will see you next time. 